Uh, if you are a fan of the San Francisco 49ers like Jordan is, it's a victory Monday. Uh, if you're a fan of the Cowboys, football season ended a few weeks ago, like it did for me, but we march on nonetheless. Jordan, what's top of mind for you at the start of the week? I, I love I love the stampede that's up right now at Horns 24-7. Stampede's good every week, but I love when you and Hank dig into stuff like the 10 most wanted recruits for Texas in the class of 2025 because before we get into it, I think it's just worth mentioning with Jabbar Muhammad committing to Oregon, which you talked about that late last week, things were trending away from Texas in that one. Dude, the book's pretty much closed on 2024 with the addition of anybody that Texas might pick up in the portal after spring practice when, when the spring portal window opens. So, man, it's kind of weird, Jordan. We're uh, uh, just over a week, about what, nine days away from signing day, and there's going to be a whole lot of nothing going on for Texas next Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, no, Hank and I were uh, were talking yesterday and we were trying to come up with a stampede, man. Like, we're getting that time of the year where we got to start getting creative, you know? So, um, not not looking forward to the to the really slow parts of the offseason, but, uh, you know, we'll do what we can to make it as fun as possible. Of course, um, for 10 most wanted recruits, actually ended up being 11 guys, um, but because we kind of designated the tight end position as just like, here's one of these two guys is what we know about both of them. Right. Um, but for all the other positions, we got them on there. So if you want to check it out and go ahead and look, I'm sure we're also going to talk about it. Um, but, you know, like you said, man, unless uh, unless someone really kind of comes from out of the blue, off the radar, uh, they're, they're pretty much done in the portal. And uh, in 2024 recruiting as of now, that's how it appears. You know, things can always change super quickly, especially in the portal nowadays. But. You know, at this point in time, unless it's a 2025 or 2026 or, you know, a high school recruit, we're, we're not expecting any any announcements to be made for Texas up until uh, April, whenever that, that portal does open. We, we we expect Texas to add at least one guy. So, um, and, then, and they're over the scholarship limit right now, so they're going to need it at least. Um, so there's a couple of different uh, things that, you know, I, I kind of want to talk about in relation to the portal. Mm-hmm. Um because it all kind of ties together, right? Who, what position group can they add to, you know, who might be available? That's, we don't know who's going to be available. But my thing is, Jordan, getting back to something we talked about, it's kind of now or never for guys at some positions. And the really it's two groups, three positions that I'm looking at, the offensive line, edge, and interior D-line. I know you say, well, how can you lose an interior any interior D-lineman? Well, it's... I'll keep talking about it until spring ball starts. I think the, that trio of Jare Bledsoe, Aaron Bryant, and Zach Swanson, either either they're going to rise to the occasion or they're going to get the hint after spring practice that you're probably not in the long-term plans. I think the same thing goes for guys like Justice Finkley, uh, a guy like Jamon Tapp, even though I think both those guys are really good players. They brought in Trey Moore for a reason. They brought in Colin Simmons for a reason. Ethan Burke doesn't look like he's going anywhere. And like we haven't even seen Colton Vosick on the field, really. So uh, they're getting, they're continuing to add depth at edge and in the offensive line. I mean, <laughs> you can only have five on the field at a time. And when you've got just that glut of bodies, they got some really talented guys. There are going to be some really talented offensive linemen from this program that go into the portal after spring ball. It is just a fact. You're still going to be really good. You're still going to be be deep, but man. It's a good problem to have. These, these are this is good attrition for Texas. 
Yeah. Um, and I mean, like you said, like as much as it's going to suck, uh, they, they got to make room. And also at the end of the day, these guys got to decide what they want uh, in their college football careers. And, you know, as a stay, maybe get a damn good degree at the University of Texas, but, mm-hmm. you know, you don't play till senior night, perhaps. Or is it, you know, transfer down to a Texas State, a ULM, maybe a Baylor, something like that, and, you know, actually see the field. So um, I, that'll be some important conversations over the next few months that uh, some guys need to have with them and their families and their circles. But, um, I mean, like you said, man, uh, Texas is at the point where, I mean, you always <laughs> you you always want to be at the point where no matter what you're playing the best player. Yeah. Um, but Texas definitely goes by that. And yeah. you know, right now the names you mentioned, they're likely not the best players of their position. They, you know, chances are they're probably not ever going to be the best players of their position on this roster. That's why we're talking about them the way we mm-hmm. are. But um, I mean, it, it, it's a part of the off season. Every every school goes through it. It sucks, but you know, it's what college football is in 2024. So yeah. Now, I'm not saying the two guys I want to mention, I'm not saying they're transfer candidates, but I think yeah. they're good hypotheticals to look at. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cole Hudson and, and Nato uh, Umazalo, both those guys. Like, if those guys are anywhere else in the country, they're starting right now. No yeah. questions asked. Um, is it is it conceivable to think, like, I, I like the fact that those guys can keep pressure on Hayden Connor and DJ Campbell because, man – even though he's a senior and he's been a, a two-year starter now, like let's say Hayden Connor doesn't have a great spring and NATO does or Hudson does, dude, if you're Kyle Flood, like you got to do what's best for the team and you might have to say either that job is completely open or you might elevate a guy. So we're talking about it in terms of it might be bad for the guys further down the depth chart, but if the guys further down the depth chart rise up, I mean, you might have a guy that started for a couple of years and all of a sudden they end spring ball like, hey, man, um, I may need to to bust it really, really bad, bust my hump this summer, or I might be on the bench. I'm, I might not be starting. Like Cole Hudson wound up in that group because of DJ Campbell. Like you talk about a guy that is a true freshman, started 13 games at right guard and was a backup last year. So it's, again, it goes back to being a really good problem to have if you're Texas, specifically if you're Kyle Flood talking about the offensive line. I, I love that you've got talent. Finally, finally, Jordan, you've got talent and depth in that offensive line room. And you're not kicking guys off the team. Guys aren't showing up to campus just overweight and sloppy, and you can't count on them for a couple years. Like you got dudes that understand the deal and are coming to campus ready to rock and roll. I love where this offensive line is. Yeah. Um, everything you said, I agree with. I don't know if you saw your comments. Some paparazzi was out there. Not paparazzi, but uh, <laughs> you oh, were spotted. Yeah. yeah, Coach 420. No, look, anytime you see me out in Gen Pop, man, don't be don't be shy to come up and say hi. It's all good. Uh, you know, Coach 420 mentioned that he and his daughter were at the basketball game on Saturday. Um, that's the first time I've been to the Moody Center as a spectator. And where we got our seats, I think we're like section 108. And like you enter through the the Dell Technologies Club, and I'm like, surely we're not entering through the club level, right? But that's where our <laughs> seats were. And I'm like, all right, this is nice, man. You got got some good food options and whatnot. Um, again, I'm just kind of old school. I don't like I don't like paying five bucks for my 20 ounce Coke Zero, but such is life. But Hey, uh, my daughter had a great time, man. Like I said, dude, 45 bucks got 
with parking and everything, got myself, my wife, and my daughter uh, in the door. So it was it was fun. Good times had by all on the family front on Saturday. Jordan, what did you do on Saturday? Imagine you probably you probably got some rest finally, right? Uh, so Dallas after we got off, or Friday after we got off, uh, drove to Dallas. Um, Juice had a tournament there this weekend in. Uh, it was originally scheduled to be in Arlington. Um, it rained, or it had been raining the last few days leading up to the tournament, only a turf field. So tournament was moved to Eaton High School. Uh, I was staying in the Grand Prairie because it was only 10 minutes from where the fields are supposed to be. Yeah, That got moved. Uh, I told myself going into the weekend that I was only going to be there on Saturday if there wasn't, there wasn't enough talent there for me. Um, mm-hmm. Because with it being a big visit weekend, you know, all the top guys who their visits, there's also oh, yeah. uh, every year the last weekend of January, there's a big uh, tournament in Miami called Battle Miami Tournament. Yeah. So all the national teams and top seven on seven teams will load up with all the top state of Texas players. So the uh, the cupboard was pretty dry uh, this weekend at the tournament. And Saturday I looked around and I was like, nah. And then after <laughs> Juice was done, I just I just drove back to Austin on Saturday. Um and because I mean, in bracket play, I don't want to talk bad about them, but they they're usually pretty rough. Uh, the first tournament of the year, so I'm like, I, if any of these teams wins, like, congrats to them. But I, I doubt, yeah. <laughs> I doubt we'll take it home. Um, so that was my weekend, and then yesterday, kind of just uh, sat on the couch and you know enjoyed uh, enjoyed some playoff football. So yeah, it, it happens. Uh, I get that with camps. Used to get that with camps sometimes back in the day. Like camp, the camps, the camp deal. It's more organized now because now you've either got private workouts where the trainer will tell you, hey, these are the guys that are going to be there, and the trustworthy ones. When they tell you somebody's going to be there, they're there, or they'll tell you, hey, he's got a basketball tournament or whatever. He's got a graduation for a cousin or something. He's out of town, but he might make it late or whatever. Uh, but camps, it was a little more wheels off, Jordan, when I was doing it, where somebody would tell you, oh, yeah, so-and-so's going to show up, and you go and there's nobody there that's like a Texas, Oklahoma, A&M, LSU-level kid. Or, I mean, there, you know, there there was the rare camp that, like, they're like, well, I mean, you could come. We don't know who's showing up. And then you show up, and it's like, oh, man, there's, like, you know, at the time it would have been, like, you know, there's four or five, like, BCS conference-level dudes out here. You know, yeah. like I went to, uh, I think it was like a, it was a Schumann's underclassman combine in Somerset, which was which is kind of a drive. This was many years ago. And I show up, I'm not really knowing who's going to be out there. And like the first two guys that show up for registration were Arion Springs, who was a safety out of San Antonio that ended up signing with Oregon. And then Derek Roberson, who signed with Texas in 2014 and ended up in Sam Houston and then ended up getting a cup of coffee with the Titans. I was like, well, I mean, I, two dudes on the board for Texas. So it kind of worked out. But yeah, I, I totally get that when you, you, you show up and you're like, yeah, things don't change in about the next 20 minutes. I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. It was just like 40 degrees and windy. And I was just like, this ain't worth it. So, and like, man, I, I go to a ton of seven on seven tournaments and most yeah. of the time it's the same, pretty much the same mix of kids and, uh, organization so like I, i'm gonna see them all later in the spring i don't so yeah but it, it was weird though it messed up like it's messed up my whole sense of timing because that's the first time i've ever left a tournament early and not stayed through sunday so mm-hmm. driving home on 35 and getting home like damn it feels like a saturday or a sunday <laughs> like i'm waiting for sunday night football to come on but i don't know what to do with myself these last few hours so yeah 
Yeah, it's kind of we're getting into that that time. I mean, I uh, I didn't because I was at the women's game. I didn't watch any of the men's game on Saturday. I just kept kind of checking it on my phone and saw halftime. I was like, all right, things are things are looking good in Provo. And then about 15 minutes later, things were not looking good <laughs> in Provo. So uh, Texas and Houston tonight out at Moody Center. We'll see if the Longhorns fourth uh, fourth consecutive game facing an AP top 25 team. So we'll see how things go for Rodney Terry and company tonight. Uh, but Jordan, I, I want to get to this. Uh, the, the top 20, your 10 most wanted for 2025. Uh, Decorium Moore is the first name listed. And you know, over the weekend, I know Steve Wiltfong caught up with him. Uh, he, he still committed to LSU, but he mentioned the two schools he's keeping the door open for are Oregon and Texas. If you had to handicap this thing right now, and I know Hank wrote the blurb on, on Decorium Moore for the Stampede, but if you had to handicap this thing, like what percentage chance would you give Texas right now if you wanted to put a percentage on it that they could flip to Coy and more from LSU? Um, well, shit, man. Uh, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but. Um, honestly, I, I got to go 50%. Um, okay. You know, we got about a full year until he's got to sign. Um, I think Oregon is a very legit contender, but. Um, the only school I could really see him committing to if he was to open it up, uh, decommit or flip from LSU would be Texas. I just, I don't know. It wouldn't, unless Oregon has a great season on the field this upcoming season. Um, then that, that would really surprise me. I I really think that if, if he does end up backing out of his, uh, commitment to LSU, that it'd be for Texas and, and only Texas. So, and, and with the, it's kind of weird because the last few years, man, I've been talking about how great this 2025 wide receiver class is in Texas because it's just super stacked. Yeah. And Texas went out and took like five receivers in 2024, <laughs> right? So um, numbers are going to be smaller than I'd originally anticipated for the position, but, you know, that's fine. Um, whenever you need less guys, it means you have more time to focus on your number one guy, and that's exactly what's going on. And the number one guy is to coin more, so – um, like in Texas chances, whenever they have a, a number one guy uh, across the board, um, I really feel like if you go back and look at these last few classes um, and you really think, okay, who did this or who did this staff identify as the guy in the class? Not at a position, not positional value, but just like who is this big name that everyone knows we're kind of tied to that we have to land no matter what we can't we can't miss them. Yeah. In 2022, I think it was Kelvin Banks slash DJ Campbell, kind of both those guys. It's good that they got them both. Mm-hmm. 23, uh, obviously Arch Manning. Anytime there's a Manning name, he's going to be the guy. Um, and then 24, you know, I'd say Colin Simmons. So and even though Colin uh, didn't finish as the highest-ranked guy, even though Kelvin or, or DJ or whatnot, I know DJ was ranked higher than Kelvin by us, um, they're still the guy, and they're still uh, – it's bigger than just the ranking. It's more like a – more kind of a, a self-respecting. Like, Texas yeah. doesn't land Colin Simmons. Some people are like, damn, Texas got stuffed in a locker by LSU for a, the top kid in state. You know what I mean? People mm-hmm. say stuff like that, stuff like that. It builds up. It really does build up. Um, and I think, you know, Texas showing that they can land their number one guy whenever they identify someone as the number one guy. It gives me confidence in that. And also, you know, they, they have a year left to flip this guy. Um, yeah. He obviously committed in August of uh, 23. 
kind of an out of the blue commitment. Um, didn't sell anyone until like an hour before and held this quick get together party so that it wouldn't leak out. Um, so it's kind of some interesting things that went on for him committing so early, so out of the blue. Um, to where it just it really felt like this is far from over. Um, and it's kind of had that same feeling throughout. He hasn't taken a ton of visits, but um, I mean, with his mother originally hailing from Austin, I'm not sure uh, what part of the city she's from or what area of the city she's from, but I know she's originally from Austin and um, he has a lot of family ties to the area. So yeah. I think that's important as well. It's also uh, the only in-state school he's ever truly considered. I know he's visited AM and SMU and all that, but Texas is the only in-state school for DeCorian. So that's, uh, I guess, pretty much the latest there. Colin Simmons already inked an NIL deal. Well, he didn't sign it, but the ink was pretty much dry in August. Um, he so. had pen in hand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we talked about this before, Jordan, when you talk about that wide receiver group in the state in 2025. Three of the top five wide receivers in the country, if you just look at our 24-7 sports in-house rankings in the top 247, Corey Moore, Khalid Lockett out of Saxe, and then a guy that I know you like, Andrew Marsh out of Katie Jordan. Those guys are uh, in the top five. DeCorey Moore's one, Khalid Lockett's two, Andrew Marsh's five. And you don't have to go much further to find the next Texas guy. It's a local kid, Adrian Wilson out of Weiss, committed to Oregon at 14. So, yeah, it's a – and those guys, that's just – you're just kind of scratching the surface there of, of the wide receiver talent in the state. It's a it, – like you said, it's a really, really good year for uh, for wide receivers in the state. Yeah. Uh, you just want me to roll through kind of the whole list? Well, uh, no, not necessarily. I, I just So, after DeCorian Moore, like you talked about, who the must-have guy – Who's the next guy for you on that list that like tech and and I, I think what you're saying is you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but basically I think kind of what you said about Colin Simmons applies like it, it, whoever the staff deems is the top guy in the state. Right. Which that that's probably that could be the same as us as, as a recruiting industry view it. Sark and those guys might have a different board that has a different guy on top for them, but after decoring him more, who's that next guy you think for Texas? Um, and again, I think it's worth pointing out that for you and Hank, you know, what you guys put out is not necessarily, we're not saying, hey, this is what the board looks like inside Moncrief. This is like we got a glimpse of Sark's board and this is what it looks like. Like these are guys that you guys just think are good fits or guys that Texas sits well with. Like after after DeCorian Moore, who's that next guy? Um, probably, probably I'd say Michael Fasusi. Um, anytime you can stack, you know, just elite offensive linemen like him, I mean, you do it. Um, yeah. you're probably looking at the ranking being like, well, he, you know, he's outside of being a five star, he's you know, outside of whatever, or all that. He's six four, I don't know. Michael Fasusi is in the same tier of offensive lineman talent is Baker and Kelvin Banks. Um, he's that good. Um, and in, in 25, the 2025 in-state offensive line class is also really talented as well. Yeah. Um, and there's three just absolutely premier offensive line, offensive tackle prospects in Dallas alone. You got uh, Fasusi at Louisville, Ty Haywood at Den Ryan, and uh, Lamont Rogers at Mesquite Horn. All three of those dudes are 
I'd say the other two are borderline elite. I'd say Fasusi is truly elite. Um, mm-hmm. I used to think Haywood and, and Fasusi really close, but seeing both of them up up close and in, up close and personal in camp settings, um, Fasusi just dominates where Haywood. It, it's clear he's never been coached up for a camp, so can't really hold it against him much. But yeah. Fasusi's just a special prospect. Um, yeah. So I have to go with him, and I like. I like Texas chances down the stretch for him as well. Um, Kelvin Banks, DJ Campbell, Brandon Baker, all these top alignment I mentioned, they have the whole country coming after him. Um, right. And Cal Flood is able to go into Houston and uh, into Arlington and uh, into L.A. and land these guys. And, um, you know, for all of them, it's, you know, the Kelvin Banks and DJ Campbell recruitments obviously didn't cover uh, a ton. Um in fact, I only read about them because I wasn't even covering Texas at the time, obviously. Right. But I just meant I don't know about as much about those as I do about Brandon Baker's. But like Brandon Baker at this time last year, it was okay. This you know really good kid from Auto Day has visited, but he's only came in once and it was for the Junior Day last week. You know I don't know. He's got to come back. Probably he's probably going elsewhere. Right. That was our thought process. Pasusi already, I, in my opinion, I think is considering Texas as his favorite school, if not the second or third favorite. But he's already ahead of where they were for Brandon Baker at this time last year. Y'all right. get where I'm going with this? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so you know, they kind of the DJ Campbell recruitment was one that, and and look, you can call Mike Rhodes after we're done. Jordan and Mike might tell you a different story than I would tell you, but as far as I remember, Texas was in it. It was kind of. Even early on, I remember once it came to everybody started to get an idea, okay, here's kind of who DJ likes. It felt like it was going to be either Texas or Oklahoma. It was just going to be one of those Texas OU battles, which that's – I love those recruitments because it's just kind of old school, like a kid from the Metroplex and it's Texas and OU going down to the wire for him. I think Texas just kept plugging away and persistence paid off. Honestly, they got fortunate with Kelvin Banks because – if Chris Martin Cristobal doesn't take the Miami job, Kelvin Banks is probably at Oregon right now. And yeah. you know, he Cristobal leaves, and you know, Kelvin had to kind of throw some things together at the last minute. And it just so happened that you know, Texas felt like they were they were really starting to put the class together at that point. Number one, and number two, you know, you had the pancake factory and you had some NIL stuff really starting to come online. Cause I, I people forget like early on in the NIL game uh in 2021. One thing we kept hearing was, I don't, I don't know if it's accurate to say Texas was behind, but they didn't have all their ducks in a row. I don't think they were as prepared as, you know, Oregon coming out of the gates was really prepared. Miami was one of those schools, from what I remember, coming out of the gates that was really prepared. I don't think Texas was, but by the time Kelvin Banks coming to Texas was a reality again, I think a, a lot of the NIL stuff had started to take shape. Yeah. Um but with Fasusi, it's kind of funny. You brought up DJ Campbell's recruitment. That's it, it's what it feels like. This one will come down to with Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, he visited uh, in January. He went and saw Mizzou at A and M. He was originally scheduled to get to Oregon as well, um, but ended up canceling the trip or rescheduling it, I guess. Um, but again, I think every school in America is going to have a shot here. I think everyone's going to get a visit. But, you know, I really do think it's going to come down to Cal Flood and Bill Biedenbaugh again. So. Yeah. You know, it's what I like, too, about the move to the SEC for Texas is, again, it's just that old school. Back when I was following recruiting like everybody else, I wasn't working in the industry yet. 
But back when they were division rivals in the old Big 12 South, I mean, A&M, regardless of who the coaches have been, A&M, Texas, and Oklahoma, they're always going to get recruits every year that, like, the other two staffs don't really value. Just be, it might be a it might be a cult, they even a culture fit. It might be a scheme fit. It might be a legacy. Who knows? But you know, they're going to have guys in a class that Texas fan base. Like, if it's a kid committed to OU, the Texas fans and the Oklahoma fans will look at it like we didn't even offer that guy. But Oklahoma really liked him, and vice versa. But I'm interested to see the recruiting battles specifically involving those three schools. Because now they get to play each other again. It's not like you don't deal in hypotheticals. Like Texas, I know you play, obviously, but you know, for those three schools to all play each other again, now you get to settle some stuff on the field. Now, you know, if you know, let's say AM beats Oklahoma in a game, now Mike Elko's got something to say, like, yeah, not only are we going in the right direction, but I just beat Brent Venables. So our program's ahead of theirs, or whatever the case is. I don't know, man. That's just kind of the old school in me. I just like the fact that we're gonna see some really good battles between Texas and OU and A&M and the loser of those battles, you know, you might have to face the results of your recruiting losses on the field more often for losing, especially for Texas and OU. If you lose recruiting battles to A&M and vice versa. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. A&M fans are going to be wishing they uh, were able to keep Anthony Hill the next two years. I'll tell you that. Um, I tell you what, you know, a a fun piece for you to do this fall before that game is going to be, you know, the five or ten, whatever arbitrary number you pick, the recruiting battles that shape this game. That that might be number one is is the battle for Ant Hill. Yeah, I'll also just, uh, well, it won't be, if I was to make a story for, like, just A&M, OU, Texas playing each other again, like, the first few lines is just how A&M is just stuffed they stuffed OU in a locker for, like, their top T-line target, like, two years in a row. And they did it with, like, six different kids, too. <laughs> they did DJ Hicks at the last minute. Brownlow Dindy was at the last minute. Yeah. Um, there's, like, two or three others that aren't as relevant, but they're still, like, I remember just OU fans, how pissed off they were and saying they bought that whole class because, I mean, they did, but <laughs> hey, yeah, man, I don't know. You're doing it within the if – it, if it's within the rules – who cares? Yeah. I was kind of hoping AM would get David Stone just so I was like, there's no way they can pull this off again. But <laughs> no, uh, they, they didn't. No. So. If that happened, dude, that, that would be a meltdown. That would have been a meltdown for OU fans because there's, you know, I feel like every year there's a recruit in somebody's class that just pisses the other fan base off, just needles them. Oh, uh, yeah. It was John Tay in, in 23 for them. I remember uh, there was someone. <laughs> Doesn't work with us at 24-7 sports anymore, um, but big-time OU fan, and uh, I remember being like, hey, man, so uh, I heard OU is a Jonte Cook's dream school, and just getting him going on that and <laughs> all that, so uh, that's, uh, I love the same thing, where there's that one really loud kid yeah. where he's going to talk for everyone, and I'm just retweeting the shit out of him. Oh man, but, it was David. It was David Stone to text to, to Texas fans this year, man. Yeah, David, David Stone trolled the hell out of Texas fans. Texas didn't really have like someone super kind of animated, I guess, in your face like John Tay. But I guess if you had to pick someone, I guess it would have been Trey Owens. He, he's probably the most active on Twitter out of anyone, I'd say. Yeah, that twenty three, that twenty three class for Texas. Not only is there some talented dudes in that class. 
that class has personality, man. Yeah, it does. Like between it does. Jonte, Jelani McDonald, uh, dude, uh, Manny Muhammad, uh, Billy Walton, who again, I love I love watching Billy Walton on the sidelines for games because there is nobody in the stadium more excited when Texas does something positive than Billy Walton. Uh, he's the most hyped guy in the building. But yeah, that's uh, that that class for Texas has some personality, man. Yeah, walk down Bill. Uh, my early thoughts on Michael Terry in Texas. Um, look, we talked to him less than an hour after he got his Texas offer at the junior day, and he went on record with like 20 phones in his face and said Texas is a top three school for him already. Yeah. Um, he then talked about how AM is also a really important offer for him, um, how he's wanted that offer for a long time, and the old staff had him visit a bunch but wouldn't offer him, um, and that he was excited to get to AM the next weekend for a visit. So that visit to AM over the weekend took place this past weekend, uh, two days ago, and he got offered by AM, of course. Yeah. Um, shared some photos, looked like he was having a great time on the visit. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to reaching out to him. Um, I got some sources down in San Antonio. I'm interested to hear from uh, what the latest is there, but um, are not expecting a decision anytime soon. I want to make that clear uh, whenever I said like the latest, but just figure out what's kind of going on there. Um, we've kind of talked about it. He's a really interesting pro- uh, prospect. He plays, you know, pretty much every position for Alamo Heights. So, I've kind of said I think that's the main reason some schools have been hesitant to offer, but you know maybe it seems like that is an issue anymore since Texas A&M and Notre Dame have all jumped in the last week. Yeah. Um, we asked or I asked him did Texas talk uh, position with you because you kind of do it all, and he said they didn't. They just said they want me um, that they'll take me. So with him, I kind of look at him. Uh, I could see a jumbo receiver maybe. I could yeah. see a jumbo safety. I could see a linebacker. I could see a hybrid safety linebacker. <laughs> I could also see in a crazy, crazy world for some true sickos out there, make him an edge or a weapon on the edge somehow. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. truly, I could see that being possible with his body type. Yeah, it, uh, I think I think under PK, we talked about this with Trey Moore and Colin Simmons. I think that buck position with those two guys, it, that's how you're going to see that position profile from now oh, on. Yeah. That guy's going to be more, uh, you know, height, height and length don't really matter for PK, but I think you'll see that guy be more of the kind of 245-ish. Yeah, mobility. Guy. But you can really bend the edge, flexible, explosive. There, That's where your pass rusher is going to be, yeah. right? Is that is that buck in? I man, I'm, I I need to do. As a matter of fact, I'm working on it. Hopefully, I can have it out tomorrow morning. Uh, is a, an updated way too early depth chart for 24 because there's like five portal guys that have committed to Texas and are on campus since I did the first one. And I'm gonna keep it the same, man. I, I'll I'll let it play out in spring ball, and, it, and maybe it happens this way, maybe it doesn't. But you know, talk to you and Chip and Hank, and we all kind of shared ideas on this. I put Baron Sorrell and Ethan Burke both at that jack position because I think I think one of Trey I, th- I think it's gonna be a Colin Simmons Trey Moore kind of platoon there with, with Ethan Burke a little bit, maybe especially early in the year. Uh play that buck position. I, I don't I think Burke or Burke and or Baron Sorrell are gonna have their reps cut down because what one of those guys will bring as a natural pass rusher, a guy who can be in the edge and affect the quarterback. 
that's going to supersede everything because that's one of the few pieces Texas is missing. We saw how close this team and this program got to winning a national championship this year without having all the pieces together. There's no question, man, pass rusher, Jordan, that's one of the things they're missing. Just a bona fide dude that on third down, everybody in the building knows there's a chance that guy can get to the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have it and they need it. Um, I guess uh, <laughs> back to Michael Terry. Uh, with Texas, the state of Texas having a, a somewhat weak – I wouldn't say it's weak. I'd say it lacks depth, uh, the secondary class for 2025. Uh, obviously, you got Devin Sanchez and uh, Dorian Brewer, five stars at the top. But uh, Devin Sanchez committed to Ohio State. Texas hasn't seemed to be in it at all. And then Dorian Brew, they're kind of clawing and fighting to get in a better position there. So not a ton of these guys you can look across the 2025 and who they've offered and be like, okay, they're in it for him. Um, yeah. So you look at the in-state guys and it's like, okay, well, I don't even know if they would actually take this guy. So yeah. – Figuring out safety and corner numbers are going to be tricky. It's obviously – it's kind of the reverse of what I talked about with the receiver group earlier where, you know, it's a good thing you took five the year before because it's a really bad class of DBs. Um, so, like, it, it, if it comes to it and Texas only has one or two guys they want and they're like, damn, we need a safety or, like, a rover, yeah. Michael Terry can be that. Like, he can be a, kind of anything you want him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And – you know, it, it sounded like Texas is a, a school that I think he really looks at and can see himself at um, just off of the brief conversation, talking to him after the junior day. But, man, you get a guy like him committed, like that changes the outlook on the whole class, uh, especially early on with how many things you can do with him positionally. Yeah. Like it, it changes the way you, you recruit um, the different positions. It's the yeah. same thing as Lance Jackson. Lance Jackson's commitment this early it's going to change the way they're going to look at D-line edge and numbers and each thing because yeah. he can do either one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. If I, you know, the guys that – in Texas, it seems like they're taking fewer of those guys that have that kind of position flexibility. Like, yeah. one I remember yeah. – I remember when they took Caleb Blewett. That was back in 2012. But he was a guy that's like, well, you know – could he be a tight end? Yeah, but we'll stick him at defensive end right now and you know, see what our numbers look like there. And if you need to move him, go ahead and move him because we think he might be just as good, if not a better tight end than he is a defensive end. And Caleb Blewett wasn't like an NFL player, but that's that's essentially, for everybody listening to what Jordan's talking about, like a guy that basically you take him and then, you know, I'm going to basically repeat what you said. But like if, if you take Michael Terrigan, then you're like, well, we missed on some guys at off-ball linebacker or the guys that are there. We've evaluated them in the spring. We just don't like them. Okay, well, Michael Terry is going to be an off-ball linebacker. You good with that? Okay. So that's yeah. that's the kind of position flex you could have. Or, man, there might not be – or if you miss on some tight ends and be like, hey, we need you to be the move guy on offense, basically like a flex tight end, like with their, how they're going to probably use Amari Nyblack this year. So you're going to play offense now. It's just so many different things you can do. Like Caleb Blewett was one of those guys just off the top of my head that I thought of that was that was kind of like that. Yeah. Jeff, are you at the Costco and Kyle on Sunday around noon? Man, that's that's go Bevo Lance, Jason. I, I was there on Saturday after the game. I thought I saw Jason there sitting in, you know, at Costco, they got those, uh, like the, the patio furniture set up where you can like mm-hmm. sit down and try it out. 
I could have sworn I saw Jason in one of those chairs. Was like, I mean, I was sleep deprived. I just need to get home. Like, surely that ain't that ain't Bebo Lance Jason sitting in there. But yeah, he was chilling in the Costco. I thought that was you. So yeah, uh, Coach Four Twenty Texas has offered some Georgia kids, um, and you know, like you said, Kenny Baker. Assume that's what it is. I've yet to see. I don't. I don't believe I've seen it. Um, any kids post, you know, after a great conversation with at Kenny Baker or whatever, he updates his Twitter too because it's still for Western Kentucky. Um, I've yet to see anyone at him or mention him on an offer or school visit. So I bet he's still in the process of uh, moving all his stuff down to Austin or something yeah. like that. But I was just, the, uh, I was thinking, Jordan, you know, another guy that was like that that fits that position flex mold that you were just talking about. <laughs> I, I, Sorry, I, I just saw Jason's comment. <laughs> man, there, there's some four and five star stuff at Costco for sure. I, man, I'll tell you because I just had some for lunch. We got pizza at Costco on Saturday. Dude, the Costco pizza, I don't know what they put in it. It bangs. Costco it cafeteria does. food, top to bottom, is it, strong. It does, man. The pizza is awesome because um, my wife didn't want to cook, and I sure as hell didn't want to cook on Saturday. After we got back from the basketball game, so we just got pizza. Um, but and, and I, but anyway, getting back to the position flex talk, and I, I remember a little bit of some of the, the the conversations we heard that the Herman staff was having about him. Jordan Whittington was one of those guys. Like, is he? A, you know, hey, if our numbers aren't there at safety, we can put him on defense, or got no problem putting the ball in his hands, letting him play offense. Jordan Whittington might be the and plus look at all the positions that dude played at Texas. He was a running back. He's been a receiver. He's he does he can do stuff in the kicking game for you. Jordan Whittington did a lot at Texas. I you know maybe you probably could have you probably could have moved him to safety and he probably would have been pretty good. But yeah, Whittington was one of those guys that had some position flag. I'm just going through old uh, recruiting class stuff and looking at uh, just old commit lists and looking at. Kind of who had some position. Like Roshan Johnson had it. We didn't really know it, but he ended up having it. Yeah. Um, I always kind of thought Jelani McDonald would be a flex guy, but they kind of from day one were like, you're a safety. <laughs> Get Man, in the back of the line. I, you know, to an extent, like I, I we talked about it. I don't know what Jelani McDonald is, but. I just like him on the field. Like I, you know, he was on some kickoff coverage and stuff this year, and a dude that big, that fast, yeah. Just until you figure it out, just let him run down and just, you know, blow dudes up on kick coverage or punt coverage. Um, the other guy, man, he's really good, and I go back to you know, <laughs> Jordan has some strong opinions. I've said this before. Jordan has some strong opinions when we're out watching Texas practice about certain players, like what he thinks about this dude. But when Jordan is like all in on a guy, like thinks he's good, and I I thought that before checking with Jordan, I'm like, oh yeah, that matches up. Maybe we're onto something. Warren Roberson was that guy, man. I, I think Warren Roberson's really good. I just don't know where he fits in yet. Does he fit in at corner? Does he fit in at safety? Could he play some of that star position? I don't know, but man, I just want to see him out there at some point. Yeah. Um let me see what they have them listed out on the roster they handed out August 1st at uh <laughs> Oh, you still have yours? 
the open practice. Yeah, I still got mine. Yeah, I've got a pile of papers here on the desk. I don't even want to begin to look through that thing and figure out what happened to it. Oh, they just got them listed at DB. Damn. That's weak as hell. Um... (laughs) Oh, that's what you're talking no. about is height and weight. Yeah, they'll just no. listen to DB. We got to kind of guess where some of these yeah. guys end up. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think he could play anything at the high school level. I saw him play anything. Uh, I also saw him in a training session uh, or training sessions, seven on seven, like the whole nine yards. Um, I had I had a lot of exposure to uh, Tawan Roberson, and uh, me naturally, I, I gravitate towards kids who don't talk really any shit they kind of yeah. just hit the shit out of you and <laughs> that's kind of it they kind of yeah. pop, pop you in the mouth and don't yeah. really talk um and that's warren that was warren all throughout high school um he was a talker for sure when you get him turned up but you know you kind of had to get him there uh mentally and he, he, he's just a guy that he, he's a guy that helps locker rooms top to bottom, um, and he makes teams tougher. Love those guys. Uh, it, it's – I wouldn't say – I remember Mike writing – I remember Mike writing um, whenever Savion Red signed with Texas that he was speaking with the source, and he's like, you know, kind of what was the reasoning for y'all going after Savion Red so late? Like, it didn't really make a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. And the source's response was, our team is made up with a bunch of kids from the suburbs. We need some kids from the apartments. Yeah. No. Warren Roberson is kind of the same type of thing. Um, not that I wouldn't say he's nearly as, uh, uh, how do I say this? Um, buoyant, <laughs> outgoing, loud, uh, I don't know, kind of vibey. Like Warren not, is not all business. Like I always, I always hate this when when somebody when somebody dies and people are like, oh he, you know he was so vibrant when he walked in the room he was the life of the party. Nobody's gonna say that about my ass when I'm gone. But like, yeah. you know, like everybody was that person. Like not everybody's that person. That you yeah, know. yeah, no. So Warren, Warren's just like really quiet about his business, and he's just gonna set the tone with his play and how he goes about taking care of his business. Yeah. Um, so I've always loved Warren and think he'll be successful at whatever position they decide to stick him at. It, it's man, the the ecosystem of a locker room is unique because you need some guys like that, that kind of the the, the speak softly, carry a big stick kind of guys. But you know, you you need you know you need a guy like like Quandre Diggs. You need a Tavondre Sweat, a dude that's. A dude that's about to kick your ass and is going to tell you how they're going to do it before they do it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you need you need a little bit of everything. Like yeah, you can have guys that have come from affluent backgrounds, but man, it helps both parties when you've got some dudes in the locker room too that've been through some stuff in life. I mean, got some guys on that roster, man. Jordan, we don't need to run down the guys, but you know who they are. There there are some dudes that by the time they're nineteen, they've had more life experience than a lot of us at, you know, than me at 40 has had in some cases, you know? Um, yeah. Like, that's what I like, you know, the, the basketball team, like the, you know, like Tyrese Hunter, like when you lose both your parents by the time you're 13, like you've, you've had to grow up a lot earlier than, you know, damn near everybody around you. So it's just, oh, yeah. I don't know, man, though, the, the dynamics of a locker room. And then I, I think from a culture standpoint, I think what brings a team closer together, it, it's easier to it's easier to want to put your body on the line for somebody and to be all in on somebody when you kind of know what their why is. And I think Sark doing the 
I forget what he calls it, but when they do the uh, kind of the truth telling Wednesdays, I forget what mm-hmm. he calls it. But you know, when they kind of you know, on Wednesday, when you know they get around and they share some stuff, and yeah, I remember Jalen Ford. Uh, I think Chip had this quote because Chip wrote about this when we were down in New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. Jalen Ford talking about you know when Sart gets up there and talks to the team about the stuff he went through, you know, in hindsight, as we knew later at Washington and then at USC. And he's saying this stuff that he's been through, like with his son sitting five feet from him, like that's, that's pretty powerful stuff like that. And that gets guys to be willing to open up. And again, I think the more, you know, about your teammates, the more you're willing to sacrifice for them to fight for them. So I don't, I don't scoff at the, you know, I, I have gotten tired about talking about culture because I think there's, I think that word, had gotten thrown around in Texas a lot without people really talking about what it meant. But I think there's no question that everybody in that building, everybody that went to work at the Moncrief complex today for 6 a.m. workouts, they know what the culture is. They know what the standard is. They know what the expectations are. It's not this outside the box concept that you're trying to grab hold of. The tone is set every single day and it's from the top down. Yeah. And and it wasn't just because, like, they went to the playoffs either. You know? Right. It's because this has been a buildup of since Sark's first day in Austin. You know what I mean? And the way mm-hmm. they've drilled and instilled and all this different stuff. They've obviously taught them. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I agree with what you said. Um, and, you know, I, I haven't really thought about Warren Roberson in a while uh, until he brought that up. So, you know, hearing his name – uh, it's probably going to be pretty tough for him to get on the field next year, um, unless it's in as a rotational guy. It's just there's a lot of a lot of experience coming back, and also uh, in the portal as well. But you know, with him, in my opinion, I have always believed he has a versatility to get moved around. Maybe they can move him around and figure out a way to get him on the field. But yeah, um, I do know since uh, since he was a summer guy, uh, or not a summer, a June enrollee. Um, he got in later. So feedback on him, you know, we didn't have a ton of concrete stuff until towards the end of fall camp. But yeah, I remember uh, Hudson and I were actually talking to the same source, just kind of running through the freshmen, which guys stood out. And um, when we came and asked about Warren, the guy's eyes lit up. Uh, they they loved Warren. They loved everything they gotten out of him uh, through fall camp. That was probably two or three days left in fall camp. And we were talking with the source. Um and they just – they weren't expecting – I'm going to butcher the quote that uh, the source kind of said, but it was like when we when we decided to circle back on this guy in November, we didn't think this is the guy we were circling back on. This guy's a lot better than the guy we thought we were getting. Yeah. It was kind of like that. Um, and, you know, <laughs> it's just like uh, with, with Jelani and these other guys where it's like, we write in August how excited our sources are about them, and then they don't play a snap in the season. And it's like, oh, what happened? It's like nothing happened. He just has, yeah, two future first rounders ahead of him. That's yeah, that's like all where, it is. So, you know, where where was where was Jelani McDonald going to play? Yeah, exactly. So it was it got it was until the the, the fourth fifth game of the year. It was hard for Derek Williams to find snaps at safety. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and with. So much of college football now, like people talk about the portal, NIL. The most important thing is keeping everyone on your roster happy um, yeah. and patient and making 
describing to all of them, it's like, hey, dude, you're not sniffing the field, but like, think bigger picture. Don't think, go get paid more and leave right now and, you know, go play more. Yeah. Like that too, balancing that. Um, it's hard. So uh, I'm interested to see, you know, just kind of how they work with the DBs from top to bottom um, for this yeah. season. We haven't talked about it too much, but some of the staff changes, like, uh, you know, Jody Camillus taking a full-time job on Shane Beamer's staff at South Carolina. Yeah. We, we kind of talked about that on the message board this weekend over, over at Horns 24-7. But, uh, it's not so much the special teams dynamic, because, look, as long as Jeff Banks is a special teams coordinator, yeah, and Texas has dudes that. like Jelani McDonald and Warren Roberson, two guys we're talking about, like, man, we need to put these guys on the field. Dude, just let them let them run down there and blow stuff up on kick coverage. Let them let them be on the punt return team or whatever. It's a good way to get yo know, guys get their feet wet. Um, I don't worry about the kicking game. <clears throat> Jody Camillus, really the reason why Sark hired him. Like, yes, Jody Camillus and Jeff Banks have known each other forever, but the why Sark hired him was Jody was kind of the the game management guy for Sean McVay at the Rams who. Because McVay is one of those dudes as your own play caller. Like, and we see Sark do it. Sark's been guilty of it. Like, you get too tunnel vision. Like, you can get too deep into that play sheet, your call sheet for that game, and you lose track of the clock. You lose track of down and distance. You lose track of timeouts, field position, whatever it is. Uh, that's what Joe D. Camillus was there. And I thought Sark got better at that. Is he perfect? No, but I don't think any coach really is. But he got a lot better at that. So you, you owe Joe D. Camillus for that. But, you know, the thing about hiring good coaches is those guys are going to get jobs. And, like, Joey Thomas getting a job, you replace him. You know, William Gay, who's won a Super Bowl with the Steelers, is now on the staff as the – was he? I think he's senior football analyst with defensive backs, I think is officially his title. But, dude, William Gay is going to be the guy probably that Joey Thomas was that, you know, is working a lot of technique stuff with those guys. And, yeah, I'm interested to see – how much it changes because I've heard from a lot of people, and you and I have talked about it, man, what Joey Thomas did. A lot of the guys, the improvements they made from a technical standpoint in the program, they credit Joey Thomas with a lot of that development. Now, what's William Gay going to bring to the table in terms of helping guys technically get better? You know, I know we'll talk about that with Kenny Baker, uh, but, you know, Brandon Huppert coming in now as a defensive analyst, you know, that was, you know, Payam Sadat's job was was working with PK and, and doing different things. So I, I'm, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm just – Sark has been so good at hiring coaches. I want to see if he can continue to hire really good coaches and you continue to just cycle through. Like, yeah, you have analysts, you kind of groom them to become coaches, they go get full-time jobs, and then boom, let's come with the next wave of guys. So I – I kind of I'm I'm really excited about where this program is from that standpoint because Jordan, there was a time where the guy making the decisions on hiring coaches, I didn't really trust them making those decisions, but I, I trust Sark. Sark is Sark has earned my trust in that regard. Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for uh, Monkey Gate, Jeff Banks is probably not coaching at Texas anymore. It's it's well, it's one of those deals that it. Sucked. It was a pain in the ass. And I'm sure for Jeff Banks, it was something he probably wishes never happened, but it's worked out great for Texas. You know, I think the deal with Jeff Banks, though, is his work ultimately speaks for itself. And at some point, somebody's going to give him a chance to run his own program. I, yeah, I thought he would have been a really good candidate for the UTEP job that ultimately went to yeah. Scotty Walden. 
because you need and, and Scotty Walden's one of those guys. I don't want to go up talk too much about UTEP football, but Scotty Walden's one of those guys, young, energetic, offensive mind. He's from the Kingsbury tree, which makes puts him, you know, he's a, on the, one of the branches on the Mike Leach coaching tree, but a guy that can really get a fan base revved up. Cause I mean, UTEP is one of those programs. Like, Jordan, you ever been to El Paso or spent any time in El Paso? Yeah, I've actually uh, driven through it okay. twice. Like, yeah, twice. Yeah. There Same are people, trip, though. Yeah. There are people in the state that love El Paso. I've never spent any time there. Um, but it's kind of one of those deals where you kind of forget sometimes that El Paso is part of the state just because it's so far out there. Yeah. But you need to have your own kind of, it's not all that different from like Mike Leach and Lubbock. Like, you've got to have your own you got to brand it in a unique way. Like kids aren't going to come there just because of the tradition of UTEP football. Like yeah, you got to brand know. it, you got to market it. You got to have your own, like, you know, why do, why should I come to UTEP? You almost have to be like a, a car salesman kind of, you know, like you got to really, really sell your product. And I thought yeah, Jeff Mons could have done that at UTEP. Yeah, true. And I mean, I think UTEP, I mean, I'd be surprised if they didn't at least reach out and, Dude, with I don't know. I, I've I've had a lot of conversations about the the UTEP job with with some of my friends the last few months because you know it's been a topic conversation. Mm-hmm. Man, it is like impossible to recruit kids there. It oh, is yeah. impossible because El Paso. With all due respect to uh, El Pasoans or whatever they're called, y'all don't really produce football talent, American football talent, yeah. um, and. I mean, New Mexico doesn't either. Neither Arizona, uh, not really either. But if it's a guy good enough to go to UTEP from Arizona, he's probably going elsewhere. Yeah. How many hours is a flight from Dallas to El Paso? I don't know. Driving, it's what, eight hours, nine hours, something like that? Dude, it's a long way. Yeah. It's hard to get out there, right? It's a time. You got the time zone change? The time zone change? But no matter what, it's going to cost a lot to either drive or to fly. And it's not like UTEP has money like these other schools where they can get these guys in as sophomores or juniors on unofficials. Yeah. And, you know, take care of their hotel, their flights. UTEP yeah. cannot do that. I'm right. sure they'd love to, but they physically do not have the money <laughs> to you be able get. to do it. So, like, well, you are screwed right. from a recruiting yeah. standpoint. Yeah. You know, I, I talked to, I mean, I, look, everybody knows I'm not going to shy away from like Barrick Neely is a good friend of mine and Barrick was the recruiting coordinator. And I mean, we would talk like, Hey, you know, it's just part of being a G five school. Like we could offer somebody that's under the radar, but the minute you offer them, you know, all the other G fives in Texas are now interested. And then if he's good enough, then, you know, then the P five start to get interested. So you kind of got to be a little covert about how you go about things recruiting at UTEP. But then that, like you said, that works against you because nobody really knows what you got going on. I almost think like you have to, I think for UTEP to be successful, and I don't know what the ceiling for you. We've talked, I forgot what program. We've probably talked about Missouri when we're having this conversation. I don't know what the ceiling is for UTEP football in a world like where UTSA is where they are with trailer and with Jeff trailer and, you know, GJ Kenny's got things going at Texas state and, I feel like Eric Morris has stuff in place to get things going at, at North Texas. How does what does UTEP do to to get itself where it wants to be? I almost think you've got to go the old school Bill Snyder route because JUCO recruiting with the portal Jordan is pretty much. I don't know if it's dead, but it's damn sure on life support. You probably got to go heavy JUCO if you're if you're UTEP. 
Yeah, and with with the portal too and JUCO, like, dude, it's I'm gonna be really kind of pissed if it ends up sticking around, just because it's like, what are what are we even doing anymore? Yeah. But the the transfer twice and still not have to sit out rule, if that is a permanent thing, like JUCOs are about to turn into like abandoned buildings, at least like the football yeah. locker rooms. Yeah, because they're they're not needed anymore. No, and then all these guys who I don't know were supposed to go D one and got arrested or failed out or something happened off the field, whatever, where they can't go D one, they have to go JUCO. They're now going to be sanctioned to like <laughs> some tiny D two in Maine or North Dakota or some shit, just because the JUCOs won't exist. Yeah, um, I was talking to somebody, so, uh, somebody tied into one of the Kansas JUCOs. And they were saying they knew one of the head coaches of one of the Kansas JUCOs, and they had a guy that you know was like a basically any other year pre portal he would have been a Power Five level guy. <laughs> he had nothing better than like MAC offers, just because nobody needs JUCO guys anymore. Yeah, you know? it, it's weird. Like we talk about some body types as BK joins us, and Trey will be on momentarily. We talk about some body types for positions being obsolete, but like. The JUCO recruit is, like I said, he's he's on the verge of extinction. He's damn sure on life support. You just don't need you don't need JUCO recruiting. BK is, is a Kansas as a Kansas football fan. You saw K State do that, build their program up on uh, on JUCO guys coming to the island of misfit toys in Manhattan. Yeah, and I saw Charlie Weiss and David Beatty try to do that too, and it failed miserably. I mean, they just didn't want to recruit high schoolers. They wanted the quick fix, so they went the JUCO route, and that was a big part of why Kansas was the worst team in Power 5 football for, like, a decade. So, hey, Spavadol did the same thing at Texas State. Yeah, yeah. great point. It, it can work if you if you do it right, if you blend the JUCO with the high school, but if you do it wrong, you try to take the shortcut, the easy way out, it can blow up in your face. And, yeah, Spavs is a great example of that, and, uh, KU football is definitely a great example of it too. It, it's funny, BK. Like everything Mark Mangino built up, and what was Mangino there for? Eight nine years at KU. Mm-hmm. I remember when KU. So this would have been Turner Gill's second year, which was also his last year. When KU came to Austin to play Texas, and Texas ran. I don't know. I, I don't even think they threw a forward pass. I don't think they threw a pass in the second half. KU had like minus 30 rushing yards for the game. I was like, dude, they went from being, KU went from being like a respectable kind of mid-level Big 12 program to just hot garbage in two years under Turner Gill. Like it was amazing how fast it fell. Yeah. I mean, they won an Orange Bowl in 2008, 2009. And then by 2011, they were the worst team in the country. Like that's impressive. You know who the quarterback was for those teams? It's your guy. Or are you, or are you like in strollers watching Todd Reesing play at LT? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Country's gonna find out everything runs through Lake Travis. Yeah, he's one of my favorite college football players ever. He lives here. I I need to find a way to meet Todd Reesing. I feel like I don't. I don't fan even know what he looks like. I don't Dude. fanboy too often, but like I think I'd have a tough time not fanboying for that guy who made Kansas football relevant. I think I don't know if Trey will appreciate this, but I've got a good Todd Reesing story before I go. Um, you know, 
Triggs, I know you're a guy that, that keeps yourself in shape and doing volleyball on the weekends and whatnot. Todd Reesing stopped keeping himself in shape, apparently, like the minute he stopped playing football at Kansas. The word is he showed up for Kansas' pro day because they needed, you know, the receivers needed somebody to throw the ball. Like, you could tell he hadn't worked out in months. He had, like, a gut and just kind of rolled out there like, all right, what do you guys need me to do? Like, just did a little light stretch. And it's like, Todd Reesing has no aspirations to play pro football at this point. Yeah. Just like like the dad getting out there. Yeah, loosening up the old wing, getting ready yeah. to throw it around with the kids or something. Not a few brewskis deep, just throwing in front of NFL personnel. He's definitely not the first athlete to just completely stop doing any level of physical activity once the career is over with. Have you ever noticed, Trey, how like when they when guys stop playing, especially football players, like linemen, all of a sudden when they don't have to eat as much anymore they get insanely skinny where skill guys tend to go the other way i didn't think about the 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 skill guys going the other way i love that for the offensive linemen though because that's yeah. not it's just not a natural body weight to have to carry around for a lot of those guys so for them to get it together and seriously reduce the caloric consumption they're likely going to be extending their life and health span in the process like joe thomas is a great example yeah. Plenty yeah. of examples now. Jeff Saturday's another one. Like I, I love to Taylor see Taylor Lewong getting a handle on that shit. Yeah, the first time I met Blake Brockermeyer, this would have been over a decade ago. I was like, I go and I'm like, where is he? They're like, oh, he's right over there. I'm like, that's not Blake Brockermeyer. Like, yeah, that that that's Coach Brockermeyer. I'm like, is he sick? They're like, no, no, he just he keeps himself like Blake Brockermeyer weighed like if he was 200 pounds, I would have been shot. And this is a dude that played at like 300 plus at Texas. And he was an All-American too. He was damn good first round pick. Yeah, Blake was good. But yeah, he was, yeah, got real thin. So wish I knew what that diet plan was all about. But I was on here talking about Costco pizza and whatnot earlier. <laughs> BK knows about that. You know about the Costco pizza. BK. Uh, I know a lot more than I should. I'll tell you what, Costco and Sam's Club. Like they, yeah. let me in, they let me into both places, gentlemen. <laughs> Yeah, uh, has Bucky gotten a card for either one of those places? By the way, because I know he used to be anti, anti big box store membership. He's a Costco guy. I think he always calls it the United Nations headquarters because it's so diverse. So I think he just goes to people watch and be racist towards other uh, races and nationalities. I think that's why he goes. Can I do that when I get his age? Just go kind of. I do it. At- I do it at my age. Okay, so I was going to say, yeah, you, I, I know some people that end up just being wheels off right now. So. <laughs> I think you're but good. At any rate. All right, fellas, let, I will get out of here. Let y'all have a show and uh, we'll be back to do it tomorrow. See ya. Yeah, fellas. Yes, sir. <laughs>